In my backyard, I share a fence with the world's most annoying dogs, okay? And they will bark and bark and bark all day long. I don't know. My neighbor may even be here tonight. Listen, if you're my neighbor, don't put your dogs outside at nighttime, okay? Uh, anyways, they, I, I share this fence with them. And we have a little dog. Remember, I'm a dog owner now. A little toy poodle who thinks he's a, uh, you know, Doberman pincher. He thinks he's bigger than he really is. He's only like this big. But when those dogs start barking, he thinks he's, you know, nine foot tall. And he'll go out there and start chasing them. And they just go at it. And, and these dogs are big on the other side of the fence, much bigger than my little dog. And they'll, you know how they do, they get on the fence and they'll push on the fence. And uh, uh, sometimes the fence will kind of push in and you can see their snout and they'll snarl. And it's actually pretty intimidating because they're big dogs. Well, the other day we were out there playing. My son and I, my daughter and my wife are out there in the backyard throwing the football. And the ball rolls right up to the fence. And these dogs are outside. And they're going to town because my little dog has set them off. And they're both, I mean, just, so if you're not a dog person, like I wasn't a dog person before we had a dog, okay? If you don't know the story, look it up. It's a funny story. But, but now these dogs are there, they're barking in there, and it can be a little intimidating walking up to the fence because on the other side is a dog that could totally eat you. And, and so the other day, the ball rolls right up to the fence. And my son looks at me like, I'm not going to get in it. You know, I'm not doing it. And he looks at me like I'm, I'm sitting, you know, down now, and I'm like, I'm not getting the ball. I'm not going near that death fence. And, and so my son's like, well, if you're not going to the death fence, I'm not going to the death fence. And so we're like, well, the, you know, we're just all having this like guys do, just looking at each other. We're not saying any of this. We're just looking at each other like, and he's going, and I'm going, you know, we're just, we know we're not going by the death fence. My daughter is up on this little play thing that we have in the back of our yard, and she comes streaming down this thing, and she's like, you have not been given a spirit of fear. And she walks right up to that fence and grabs that ball and hands it to my son. And I'm just like, hallelujah. My daughter, again, teaching me how to have faith in Christ and Christ alone. We're going to start a series the next couple of weeks entitled Scare Tactics. And, and I truly believe that the enemy, this is this is his only tool in his toolbox is to bring fear to us. He doesn't have anything new to bring. He doesn't have anything, you know, created to bring. He always uses fear. And I don't know about you, whether you fall on the category of like, you don't celebrate Halloween at all. Like you keep your kids in the dark on that night, shut all the lights off. You all huddle around the living room. You try to play a game and then when people knock on the door, you're like, shh. I don't know if that you or if you go on the extreme and you decorate. Listen, we're not here to talk about anti or pro or anything. I just know this. The next 30 days, our culture is going to begin to celebrate this culture of fear. And I want us as individuals and as Christ followers to be ready because the enemy shows his ugly head around this word fear. And we're going to learn about this in his tactics. He really only has a few in his book to use in the area of fear. But tonight is... Tonight is first worship, so I'm not going to speak very long. And as I speak, I'm going to invite the ushers to begin. It's communion as well. And I'm going to invite the ushers to go ahead and begin to serve as I begin to speak. We practice open communion here at Westover, which just simply means this. You don't have to have taken a class or fully understand everything there is to know about this moment other than this. The only prerequisite to take communion with us at Westover Hills is that you've given your life to Jesus. And that you're willing to understand that that's what this moment means. His death, burial, and resurrection. So we, if that's you and you understand that and you've given your heart to Christ, you don't have to be a member here to take communion with us. You're welcome to take communion. I invite you to participate 
And I invite those watching online, hey, now is the time. Go run the refrigerator, grab some crackers and some juice, and you can join us as well. But we're going to talk about Scare Tactics. It was one of my favorite shows growing up as a teenager. It showed up on Sci-Fi, and it was a show all about scaring people because I just, something about being scared is funny when it's not being, you're the one being scared. It's hilarious when other people get scared, but when it's you getting scared, it's not that funny. You watch the YouTube videos all day long of people jumping out of different things and bins and wearing masks, and it's hilarious to the point you'll cry, you know, your stomach will hurt, you laugh so hard until you're the one, right, being scared. It's no fun being afraid. And we're going to talk about the fear that the enemy uses in four different phases, four different fear. It's all fear. It's all the same fear. But he uses it in four different tactics in this series entitled Scare text. I invite you to open the app very quickly tonight as we jump into this. And then we're going to continue and end with the, house, uh, with the table of the Lord and with worship. And just simply this, uh, the, the whole verse we're going to hold on to all month long is in 1 Timothy. And it says this in excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, the, the verse my daughter so eloquently quoted, You have not been given a spirit of fear. So if you've not been given a spirit of fear, that means he's about to tell us that you have been given something else. Because if he just said that, we would still walk away going, then what do I have? If I don't have fear to keep me alive, then what do I have? Because fear sometimes, that fear, fight or flight, it's supposed to be there to help us survive. Then what do I use? Christians don't survive on fear. That's not what carries us on to the next thing. Fear is not what we use. The Bible says that we've been given something way better. We've been given power, love, and the ability to operate our sound mind or self-discipline, one version says. Those are the tools that we use to combat. They're actually tools we use to combat against the spirit of fear in our life. Love, power, and the ability to have self-discipline and to not be worried when things don't fall into our pattern. We can't be afraid when things are in the unknown because we have love, we have power, and the ability to have self-discipline. And tonight we're going to unbreak one, we're going to just pull back a little curtain really quickly to reveal one tactic of the enemy, one scare tactic in the area of fear, and that is the fear of intimacy. Now I know when I say that in the student ministry world, I get a bunch of giggles. Now I know I'm not in student ministry world, but I still got some giggles just now when I said that. Uh, That word is such a, a... it's a sensitive word, you know. Some people don't. Intimacy, did he just say that out loud? This is awkward already. But I'm not talking about, obviously, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about the true definition of intimacy, to be close to a person in such a way that they know you and you know them. Intimacy. And I am talking about intimacy with one another, being close. Pastor just preached a phenomenal series called Called to Be Connected because we believe in that here at Westover Hills. We're better together. So we're going to throw the enemy in his little face, the tactic in this fear of intimacy by saying, uh-uh, we're better together. Getting us alone is exactly where you want us to be all by ourselves so you can attack us with no one watching our back. No, we believe that we're better together. And so we're going to talk very briefly on this day of intimacy. And the reason why some of us are so afraid to be close to others is because we've been burned in our past. And I just want to tell you this right up front. This series and this conversation today is not dismissing your emotions or dismissing your experience. Matter of fact, I put this in your notes. The first thing I want you to know is the pain that you feel of being hurt and being robbed because of this word or because of a past experience. The pain that you feel is real. 
We live in a hurt world. And matter of fact, we say this all the time, uh, hurt people hurt people. That's what they do. And most of us in this room, we're broken and we're hurt. Therefore, sometimes our natural state is to hurt others. And so tonight we're like, dude, I don't want to be intimate with anyone. I, I, don't, even want to, I don't even want to be intimate with my, with my spouse. I want her to even know me. I don't want him to know me. I don't, want to, I don't want anybody in this church to really know me. God knows I don't want him to know me because the reality is we've been hurt. And the enemy will use that against you to keep you right where you are in your journey with Christ. And he knew this. God knew this. And so he, he spoke this powerful word. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Picture this guy, Job, in the Old Testament. It's the oldest book in the Old Testament, we believe. And it's the story of this man who is like a true follower of God. He has lived and mastered his life and fashioned it in such a way that God gets glory in every aspect. And for a brief moment, really a mystery to me, but for a brief moment, God takes his hand off of Job's life and has given permission to Satan to attack Job. Now, I got to see something there that God does teach me his authority because God's authority is the only reason why Satan's even allowed to do this. Satan is powerless without God stepping in. Anyway, so he allows Satan to step in and Job's world is crushed under the burden of the enemy. We hear his family is murdered. We see his, half his livestock is killed. His house is burned. I mean, just a terrible moment. And Job records this in the book of Job chapter 19. And he says this, and this may be where you're at. And all of my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. There's one part in his story where his own wife says, dude, you just need to curse God and die. Like, that's your answer. That's your solution. That's the only way out of the mess you're in is just curse God. Have you found yourself in life in a situation where everyone around you, like Job says, detests you? You found yourself in a lonely place. Scare tactic number one the enemy uses is he tries to prevent you from being close to others because of past pain. But tonight I thought I'd share a couple of positive things about this fear of intimacy but really quickly, here's what some things that the fear of intimacy can do for us. How it can wreck us on the inside. The fear of intimacy can make me two things. One, it can make me distant. Ever find yourself pulling away from people? Pulling away from God? You know, like Adam and Eve in the beginning of the time when they sinned against the Lord? We got this great epic story of the breakdown of real intimacy. The Bible says that Adam walked with God in the morning, that they were intimate, that they knew each other. They were like buddies. I mean, God and him walked together. And scripture says that when they chose to bring sin into their life, something occurred, the breakdown of intimacy. Why do you and I struggle with intimacy? It's because of this moment. And we haven't changed really from what we deal with when we have broken down of intimacy. We become distant. Here's what happens. They realize they've sinned, and what do they do? They go and hide themselves, the Bible says in Genesis. They hide themselves, and God begins to look for them. Adam, Eve, where are you? In Genesis chapter 3, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, uh, and here it is, I heard you in the garden, Adam, saying this, and I was, what? I was afraid. There it is. At the beginning of our story, here's the enemy whispering into the ear of humanity, be afraid, be very afraid. And Adam says, I'm afraid. That's a Star Wars reference. Anyways, okay. And I was afraid because I was naked. So what did he do? He says, I hid. That's what happens 
When the enemy sneaks in and this fear of intimacy begins to show its ugly head, it, it, it causes us to be distant. We, we pull away from close friends. We pull away from our life group. We pull away from our church family. We pull away from all the things that really could bring life to us. But instead, the enemy has whispered and lied to us and said, you need to get alone. And we become, we become distant. The second thing that this fear of intimacy has begins to set in is simply this. We become defensive. Well, who are you to say? Well, you're the one that hurt me in the first place. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my story, dude. You don't know all the junk that I've had to do. And we become defensive. How do I know? That's because we've been doing it since this moment. Here's Adam, and they're there, and God says in this whole, where are you? And then they see each other, and it continues, and the man says this, uh, the woman you put me here, that's, she's, it's her fault. She's the one, immediately, God's asking him what's going on. What does he do? The defense wall comes up. It's not my fault. It's hers. She did it. Look what you did. You put her in front, in my life. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord turns to her and says to the woman, what is this that you have done? And what did she say? Wasn't me. It was the serpent. It was him. He did it. And they just keep on passing the blame. There are some of us in this room, like God has been calling us. God has been trying to heal us. God has been trying to restore us. God's been trying to give us this love, not the power part, but this is the love part that's in the verse. And we've said, no, I don't want it. No, those people in church, they hurt me from the last place. No, those people at workplace, they don't get me. And we become distant and we become defensive. It's a tactic of the enemy and it smells like fear. And that's what he does. He uses this against us. But tonight I want to just, I want us to overpower, overpower, get it, overpower fear by doing two things. Real quickly tonight, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's in your notes already if you have the app, but simply this one. In order to break this fear of intimacy in your life, you got you to prayerfully take a risk of, into people's lives. And I put the word prayerfully there because I didn't just say rush into a new relationship, young adults, Right? He gave, he gave me permission. He told me, I can, I can go start speed dating again. I can go put my, I can go tender my way through this moment. <laughs> Swipe left or right. He said it. I can, no, no, no. Prayerfully, prayerfully take a risk on people because this is the part that God says, I'm going to use people. Check it out. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says this, that we're to love one another deeply and from the heart. That's what God draws us to. We're to love people deeply and from the heart. And he also gives us this in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, what does it do? It drives out fear. I can't be around people. No, those people hurt me. People are the reason why I'm afraid to be intimate. People are the reason why I'm afraid to be close to God. And God's saying, listen, if you're going to make, you're going to have to draw close to them. You're going to take a risk. You prayerfully take a risk. You need to prayerfully take a risk in a life group. No, I don't want to be in a small group in a life group. It's weird. They're going to talk to me about my emotions. They're going to pull all this stuff out of me. That's exactly what you need. That's exactly what you need. People looking at you going, hey, how's your day been? Hey, you probably shouldn't be hanging around that. Hey, come this way. Hey, we love you, but let me pray for you. You know, you need people around you who are going to pull you. Listen, love drives out all fear. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the love chapter, we get this love always what? Trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. That's what God is calling us to. And in order to break this intimacy fear, the reason why some of us just want to be isolated and alone is because we're afraid of people, because we've been hurt by them. 
I'm asking you to take a prayerful risk. Now, now, I put in your notes this warning sign. Avoid, avoid waking up love too early. I'm speaking to some young adults in this room tonight. Just because he brings hot Cheetos doesn't mean he's the one, all right? <laughs> that, that's just because he brought you that, you know, whatever, bag of Lucas or whatever it is, it doesn't mean he bought you a mango nada. That does not mean he's the one. She's the one. He said, I can be intimate because, she, no, no, avoid premature intimacy. Good, listen, Song of Solomon says, I want you to promise. Listen, you got, I want you to promise, he says, do not wake in love until the time is right. We're talking, that's that, that, that is that sexual intimacy that I'm talking about for half a second, okay? Don't waken it up too much. We, what we do is we've been hurt, so we just want to, we're hurt, and we come find this other person, and we just come dump all of our hurt on them. And we just, we, we open up this intimacy door too quickly. I am saying, though, you're going to have to take a risk on some people. You're going to take a risk on us at Westover Hills. You may come from a different church. You may come from a no church background. I've never done this before. All my buddies, we did stuff that we weren't supposed to do. How, how do I find new friends? How do I find new relationships? Some of you are going to have to take a risk on us, on us weird people. All right? You're going to have to take a risk on the church. You're going to have to say, you know what, I think these people can actually bring some joy into my life. This is the love part. You got to take a prayerful risk. And then secondly, listen, you got to find your security, acceptance, and intimacy in Christ, in Christ alone. If you're going to break this fear of intimacy in your life, if you're going to just decimate it, if you're going to overcome it, if you're going to overpower it with love and power and of a sound mind, how you do it, you do it right here by finding your most intimate relationship in Jesus. It's not a dude and it's not a lady. It's in Jesus. And when you place that intimate relationship in his hand. When you say, God, I, I, I don't want to be close to people right now. I'm nerd, but I, I got to place my trust in you. I've been hurt by past. I've been hurt by others. I've been hurt by this world. But God, I need to place this vulnerable heart in your hands. When you do, here's what happens. Here's what happens. God steps in. He begins to heal your heart. And he begins to take this fear of spirit that you have, the spirit of fear in you, and begins to replace it with love and of a sound mind and of self-discipline. Why can't some people do that? Because Matthew says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us can't do this because we don't love ourselves. We don't like who we are. We've never looked in the mirror and, and, and been satisfied with what's looking back at us. So therefore, if we don't like us, no one's going to like us. Come on, let me set somebody free tonight. You're a child of the Most High God. God paid a price for your life, and you were still sinning while he did it. You were still in your mess, and I was still in my mess, and God still sent his perfect son to take my place, an unperfect person. That's you too. God loves you. And he sent his son, and we've got to find that intimacy and security and acceptance in him. The enemy wants you to be alone and he'll use fear no one likes you the church doesn't like you they they know they see your facebook they seen all your posts they went back and scrolled your instagram feed and they're going oh she's coming to church now they don't like you anymore the enemy will try to rob you from community and intimacy with one another and with god by telling you you're better off alone and it's just not true it's just not true. It is still the highest level of punishment in our prison system. Solitary confinement. 
it is still the highest level of punishment and our criminal system to put you and me, well, I'll never be in jail, I pray to God, all right? But by ourselves alone, where we cannot talk to people, have no connection with the outside world. That's where the enemy wants you to be in solitary confinement. He wants to banish you there. But tonight, what we're holding in our hands, the communion table, you know what it represents? represents this God who maybe you have felt is distant and doesn't want to be intimate with us. What it represents is that he left the confines of heaven to get right down close and personal to us. As a matter of fact, that's actually what his name even means. Emmanuel, it doesn't mean God with them, but not with me. It doesn't mean God with those Christians, but not with me, the sinner. No, Emmanuel literally is translated God with me, God with us. That's what he offers. So come out of hiding. Come out of the shadows. Come out of your fear of intimacy and step into a world of relationship and community. With us, with the Father. That's what communion is about tonight for us. And we're going to pray and we're going to take this communion. And as we pray and take this communion, the team's going to sing a song. And I want you to let this song minister to you. If you want to stand afterwards and worship, fantastic, do it. But maybe you just need to hear God speak to you and say, it's okay. You've been alone, but tonight you're stepping into the family of God. Tonight, we're breaking the fear of intimacy, and we're inviting you in to the world of community. So before we sing this song, let's, let's take communion together. You hold in your hand the bread, which represents his body that was broken for us. The Bible says on the night he was crucified, he took this and said, guys, listen. This is how I know you're serious about doing this with me. We're going to partake this together. We're going to join in this together. Well, Jesus, how long are we supposed to do this? He said, till I come back. And he's not back yet, so we're going to take this until he comes back. The Bible says the bread represents his body, which was broken. He says, my brokenness is going to be on your behalf. I'm going to be broken so you don't have to be anymore. So we take this and remind ourselves he was broken so we can have wholeness. We can have restoration into our bodies physically, spiritually, emotionally. And here it is. Even relationally, we can have wholeness because of what his body represents broken for us. So would you take this? We're going to pray over it, and we're going to break it in a moment, and we're going to take this together. But Father, Lord, I pray for the broken of spirit, the broken of relationship in this room, the one that feels like they're on the outside looking in, that nobody, God, that they feel like nobody sees them, that nobody knows them, that nobody's interested in them. God, that's the enemy. He's spoken the spirit of fear over them, and tonight we break that spirit of fear, and we introduce love, and we introduce power, and we introduce self-discipline in them. Lord, you were broken in two. Your body was bruised. Your body was beaten so that we would have access to wholeness, God. And I speak wholeness over this congregation. Those watching, God, who are participating via the internet, I pray today that you would transcend technology, that, God, you would transcend this room and you would say to each individual heart, you are made whole because of what I went through. In the name of Jesus, we declare that. And let's break together and take communion. On the same night he was crucified, he took a cup, which represents his blood, which we just sang about. I know they tell us, don't sing about the blood in front of people. People may not understand. Listen, you have to understand the blood. Without the sacrificial price of Jesus' life, there's no salvation. There's no salvation unless there was a sacrifice. This represents that it cost him everything. His death for my payment. My payment for his death. It was all in one. He had to die for my sins to be washed clean. This is access to salvation tonight. 
Now this isn't salvation, the little cup, all right? Get it. What I'm saying is what this represents. His blood on the cross poured out. His life ending so mine can begin. So yours can begin. That's what this represents. It's an invitation, again, to be a part of the family, to get out of the shadows and step into the light, to get out of darkness and be set free from that and step into his wonderful light. So tonight, we pray over this cup, which represents his blood. Father, this, this cup represents your blood, which was shed for me. And tonight, we celebrate together. We stand together and we say, God, this is your blood for my sacrifice, for my sins. I didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. But you did it and you gave it to us freely. It is an open door to community and relationship with you. That's what this represents. And tonight we take in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Would you take? Team, would you minister to us tonight?